Welcome to Fret Knots with me, Rosie Bennett. Fret Knot is the podcast that aims to demystify the learning process that we all go through in our lives, work and otherwise. I've said those lines so many times in the last year that for me and also probably for you, there's a little bit of desensitization going on as to what they really mean. It might sound funny, but we started Fret Knot because it felt like there just weren't very many interviews about people in the guitar world. In fact, I think most classical guitar interviews that I'd heard up until that point were being conducted a little bit like press conferences, and people were treading on eggshells, or people were responding to being interviewed with the same stories, the same chronologies, the same analysis of I came from here and look where I am now. An analysis that points specifically towards the success that the guest is experiencing at that very moment. I think part of the reason for that is because most guitarists feel like when they're being interviewed that this is just another thing to put on their CV. It's an extension, if you like, of a website or an internet persona or somebody that you can sell, somebody who's going somewhere. But Really, in the guitar world, we all sort of know each other by now. At least we've probably heard of each other or seen each other crop up on Facebook at some point. So surely those formalities are already done. Nobody's really that interested in listening to you witter on for 20 minutes about which teacher you studied with and how much you respect them. Unless there's some kind of synthesis in it. Unless there's some kind of analysis of why. And we wanted to create something that didn't leave you as, an, as a listener feeling guilty about having not done enough. And we wanted you to listen and learn. And I suppose if learn feels like too much of a loaded word, I guess what we really, really wanted was for people to feel that the conversations were enriching somehow or inspirational And not inspirational in a negative way, not one where you've just seen a Rocky montage and you think, oh my god, I better go out there and and work harder, I should be practicing more, I should be doing more. But in a way that made you feel as though you'd really taken something away that you could apply to your life as you're already living it. Demystify was the key word at the beginning. Demystification is something that I've been fascinated with for a while. It's the reason that I started writing anything on Instagram, and it's the reason that I write for Tonebase. Everything started with wanting to demystify the process, because I didn't understand the process. I felt like I'd reached my 20s having gone to music school, having gone to music college, having played guitar for really what felt like a forever number of years, and that I still had the feeling that I was doing it wrong, or that everybody else knew what they were doing, but I wasn't. And eventually, when I started to pierce through my ego a little bit and have conversations with other people around me, I realised that pretty much all of us were feeling the same. Almost everybody I knew was feeling like they had missed something in the beginning, that they didn't quite understand how they'd gotten to this point, and were just generally wondering how something they love so much could bring so much terror, so much annoyance, so much irritation in their lives. 
And nobody understands this industry. Nobody understands what we're doing. And there's so much to demystify. And it really is the right word for this because the classical music world is full of all kinds of hierarchies and systems that seem really to help nobody. And I think the more we talk about the things that we struggle with, the things that we're confused by, the things that we'd love to change about our world and about the industry, the more everybody will benefit. The people who are part of it, the people who are professionals, the amateurs, the people who love it, the students who are just starting to learn. Everybody benefits from breaking down the walls of pretension that we've built around our industry. I think just through insecurity. I've never been more fascinated with how mystifying the process of living in the classical music world is than I am today. And so to start off the new year, to start off the new season of Fret Not, which I can't wait for you to hear and enjoy, I'm going to share with you the lessons that I've learned that have been the most meaningful to me in my life, in music, in this podcast the lessons that I'd love to impart to you and the lessons that I'm learning now. But I can't start without saying thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of this, for listening, for enjoying, for writing me, for engaging in these conversations. It's just recently that I've realised how many people there are that listen to this podcast and I really find it absolutely crazy and unbelievable to think that somewhere across the world I'm sitting in your ears right now and you're listening to me in somewhere other than my office which is where I'm recording this now. It's been really overwhelming and I'm beyond grateful there's almost no words for it. So thank you, thank you so much for being here and I can't wait to share more of what I've been working on with you in this coming year. But first, no episode of Fret Not would be complete without a shout out to Augustine Strings, who are our sponsors and who have been the sponsors since the very beginning of the podcast. Augustine really are my string of choice. I play either the Imperial Reds or the Paragon Reds, which are their carbon blend. And I have to say, honestly, I've never played strings that are warmer, clearer, more in tune, easier to play, or strings that just sound like a guitar string. Augustine strings really changed my life. I feel like I'm playing the instrument that I wanted to play all along. If you haven't tried their strings, now is a great time. We still have the promotional code running from the Fret Not episode that I did with Brian May back in September. You can get 50% off every purchase of Augustine strings at either augustinestrings.com for US listeners or for UK listeners at ivamorantz.co.uk. That's both with the code FRETNOT50. I'll put the link in the description box and I'll put the code there too so that you can claim that reward. But please go and try them. They really are the best strings. If you are not satisfied with your string choice, even if you are, know that there is more out there. Augustine Strings have something for you. Um, Head on down to that website, augustinestrings.com and I promise that you won't be disappointed. Altamira is the leading brand of handcrafted traditional guitars, specialising in classical nylon string, historical replica and gypsy jazz guitars. 
Altamira is a trusted brand recommended by the world's leading teachers and artists. They make instruments for all player levels, from beginners starting the guitar up to luthier instruments for the world's finest artists to play on the concert stage. Altamira fosters music education and performance through its foundation that hosts and sponsors international symposiums and competitions in Asia, Europe, North America and Australia. I've recently been lucky enough to be sent an N3 model guitar from Altamira and it is one of the cleanest, easiest to play instruments that I've ever had the chance to have in my collection. They're beautiful instruments, handcrafted with love and you can tell. These instruments are wonderful, they have models right down from the beginner level, right up until concert instruments that you would be proud to put your name to. You can check them out at altamiraguitars.com and again I'll put that link in the description box so that you can check it out at your own pace. Alright. There have been so many lessons that I've learned that have been meaningful to me, but most of the lessons that I've learned that have been meaningful have come from lessons that I've had to unlearn in order to learn something, if that makes sense. It's actually where the question came from in Fret Not, and it was the first thing that I wanted to ask. The first format, which I think I even used in the first episode with Laura Snowden, was what's a lesson you've learned that's been meaningful to you, and what is a lesson that you've unlearned that has been the most meaningful to you? Unlearning is something that's been really important to me. Obviously, unlearning is always learning. It's just learning that something is not quite what you thought it was. I went to a really strict music school from quite a young age. Eleven might not seem like such a young age to a lot of people, especially if you're young yourself, but I was young in that I was very naive. I never really knew anything about the classical music world. I didn't think of music as being a job that you could do. I just wasn't operating in the circles that revealed that kind of lifestyle to me. So when I went to music school, I was incredibly naive and I was pretty much ready to put anybody as the authority instead of myself. It's something we talked about in the episode with Derek Gripper just before Christmas. Um, in episode 22, where he said that the real problem in teaching comes when you assign somebody as an authority and that they know more than you. A huge process in my musical life has been discovering that my own opinion matters, that my taste ultimately is what I should end up playing, that I can read as much as I like, I can listen to as many teachers, I can go to as many classes as I want, but unless I'm listening to what I like and what I want, I'm not going to get anywhere. People talk about convincing playing and it seems as though they're talking about playing something in a way that is justifiable. I think convincing for me means more and more that I believe in it. That I could stand by it. That if somebody would say to me, I don't like it this way, that I wouldn't crumble in their presence. That I would think, okay, that's okay. I, I like it this way. I enjoy it this way. It means something to me this way. And it's taken me a really long time to get there. And I'm not sure that I'm completely through the process. I talk a big game when it comes to these things. I talk a big game when I'm on the podcast and on Instagram 
as if I've sort of got this part all figured out and as if people's opinions don't mean anything to me. And that's not really true. Catch me on a bad day, on a self-deprecating day, and you'll still find me sulking because somebody that I don't know who has a fake name on Instagram and a fake profile has said something mean about my playing that I just can't get out of my mind. That's what music education is like for a lot of us, I think. It's a lot of putting yourself down, it's a lot of criticising yourself. What people don't tell you at school is that criticism has to come with positive criticism as well. Making a judgement of something can't just be hating it all, it has to be finding the things you like. I think we mentioned it in the Chuck Hallihan episode, where we were saying that being a critic is actually being a connoisseur. It's being a connoisseur of your own taste. You would never say that somebody knows a lot about wine if they just hate all the wine. The person who knows the most about wine is the person who knows what they're looking for. The person who asks for a more woody or smoky taste. It's not the person who just says, this wine isn't good enough for me. So defining what you want is really important in criticising. I think that's something I wish I'd learned a little bit earlier. I wish I'd started looking inwards a little bit more and I know that can be really tricky in your teenage years because you barely trust yourself anyway. (laughs) I think it's hard growing up alongside anything that you care about really deeply. It's really difficult because you assign a certain value to it. You assign a certain portion of your person to this skill or this hobby or this passion that you have. And that can make things really tricky. When I left school and I went to music conservatory, I studied with Zoran Dukic, who was a world-famous classical guitarist. Everybody loves him. I heard these amazing stories about him as a teacher, as a player, as a person, and I was super excited to go and study with him. Zoran taught me a lot of things, but the thing that he taught me the most is that it doesn't matter that much. That sounds crazy, but hear me out, because I spent a lot of time at school thinking that nothing mattered apart from music, and not in the sense that I loved it so much that it was all-encompassing, but in that I thought that my personal worth was completely intertwined with how well I did at this particular thing, that particular thing being playing guitar. And it subsequently meant that every concert I played that was good would make me feel elated, But every concert that I played that would go badly, or even things that would not go badly, but that I would feel were less than what I could give, or less than what I could achieve, or less than what people expected of me, made me a bad person. And when I went to study with Zoran, things were a lot less hands-on. He would come in and give masterclass-style lessons. He would be there every two weeks, every three weeks. And most of my study had to be alone. It had to be self-discovery. In hindsight, it was a wonderful period. I discovered a lot about technique that I probably never would have discovered otherwise. And I was pushed into a completely different area, which I otherwise probably would never have had access to. But I found that year impossibly difficult. I found it impossibly difficult because I didn't know if I wanted to play guitar anymore. It might not sound like much but for a person who's attached their complete value as a person to playing an instrument, 
Wanting to give up that instrument felt like wanting to not exist anymore. And that was really tough for me. It was more than I could handle at that age. And Zoran gave me the best piece of advice, I think, that he could have given me. And it came out of the blue. I think I'd been playing the second cello suite in a concert and I thought that it had gone terribly. And really, I don't think it had. Everybody was surprised when I was crying afterwards. Zoran seemed completely shocked and completely dismayed that I was so upset. And I suppose I was expecting him to tell me how good it was to praise my ego. I suppose that's what I needed at that age or at that time. And he said to me, you know, Rosie, if it's life or death, then you shouldn't be doing this. And that started a whole kind of breakdown for me. Honestly, that piece of advice, you in, in this is the reason why these interviews never work out well when they're chronological, because if I would tell you this story from the perspective that I'm at now, I would say that that, that piece of advice changed my life because it helped me let go. But in reality, that piece of advice made me feel awful. It made me feel as though nobody cared if I played guitar or not, which was incredibly important to me at that age. When I look back now, I realise that that one sentence, being told that, being essentially told that it doesn't matter whether you play guitar or not in the greater context of your life or of the world, that set the ball rolling for me to eventually realise that I could choose this. And I'd never chosen playing guitar before. It had sort of happened. And then I'd found myself in this pattern of doing it with a lot of expectation attached to it. So realising that was incredibly important for me. And I didn't realise it at the time. I think I must have realised this in the last couple of years. I think probably at the beginning of, or in the middle of the first lockdown was when I truly started to realise the happiness that I could get from realising that I have the power to make a choice about doing this. And playing guitar now is a completely different experience and has been a completely different experience the last two years than it has been for the last 20 years of my life. Because I'm choosing it. That feeling of being choiceless of having expectations put upon you, not by anybody, but by yourself, by a culture that you're surrounded in. That's one of the main things that I had to unlearn in my guitar life. I had to unlearn all of the pressure that came with performing, thinking that my life would end if I play a bad concert. There's still a part of that in me now. There's still echoes from that life where everything was being judged, where everything was being criticised, where even we would go to the most amazing concerts and see the most amazing players and people would still judge those players as if we're in some kind of competition or as if we're grading people out of 10 for every performance they do instead of what we do, which is make music. There's something so unfreeing about classical music education there's something so snobbish and uptight and I think it's killing the industry. All those hoops you have to jump through in order to be seen as being the right sort of person. 
Those are the kinds of things that stop people getting into classical music. Those are the kind of attitudes why classical music is always played as the background to some villain or some snobbish person or somebody that you shouldn't trust in a movie. Those are the reasons why, because we're not breeding a generation of people who enjoy playing music for playing music. We're breeding a generation of people with narcissistic tendencies who want to be looked at and want to be respected. People who are masochistic, people who want to suffer, people who want to be in power structures that make them feel bad. We should start looking at the reasons why. A year or so ago, I started looking into research around mental health in classical musicians. I found a study that was conducted upon 10,000 musicians in the UK, where 73% of individuals were found to be suffering with some kind of anxiety disorder. 73%. And I kept telling that number to people around me, 73%, can you imagine? And then I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine and we came to the conclusion that neither of us know many people in that 27% remainder. In fact, I don't feel I know anybody who's just a-okay with everything that they're doing. I know so few people who are left with a good feeling after a performance, after a lesson, after going to a festival, after going to see a concert. I know so few people who are in this professionally who are being made to feel happy through what they're doing. I think something we really, really need to unlearn and to unlearn quickly is the level of judgment that we put ourselves through on a daily basis with no justification. When we practice, we start off by playing a piece and then looking back and seeing what mistakes we made. Even in our performances, it's always about errors. It's always about things that have gone wrong. And the way that we teach perpetuates that. We teach by policing mistakes. Most people will probably remember, if you were on Facebook at that time, a masterclass of Joyce Di Donato going viral, where she takes a singer who's singing a passage and she says something to her along the lines of, there, recreate the feeling. Don't recreate the effect, the result. Recreate the feeling. Recreate the process that got you to that point. And I remember a few classical guitar teachers, I'm not going to mention names, who commented on that post saying, oh, come on, that's what all teachers do. And I remember thinking, you know, perhaps it is said in a way that's made to go viral, made to be a little bit cheesy, a little bit emotional, a little bit corny. But I don't think up until that point I had ever had a teacher who trained me through the process, who paid any attention to the experience, what it was like for me to play that piece, what it was like for me to be in the mindset to not make those mistakes, to make something that was meaningful. It's actually only in the last couple of years of my study that I started to see music in that way at all. I actually just always thought that I had to just do my best and my best meant trying as hard as possible, being as desperate as possible. It didn't mean that I could have any control. And of course, actually, that's exactly what it should have meant. It should have meant that I should be recreating 
practicing. That's what practice should be. Practicing, recreating the process that gets me to the point where I can transmit something that's meaningful to me. And so building a practice of discovery, exploration, enjoyment and rehearsal is one of the things, the lessons that I wish I could impart. And it's something I wish I would have discovered when I was still at school and had all the time in the world to enjoy and develop. Because your relationship with your instruments is really important. And I think I spent far too many years feeling like my practice was just damage control for my next guitar lesson. I suppose because practice seems like the downtime or that it's only in relation to lessons or concerts. We don't think of it as something standalone. We don't think of it as something that we spend most of our time doing, somewhere where we should really develop who we are and discover what we want to do. So I wish I'd discovered a little bit earlier on that practice is so much more than preparation for the next big event. It's so much more than preparing for the worst, which is essentially what we're doing. Practice is how we spend our lives, it's how we manifest our love for the instrument that we love. And in a life full of messy agendas, a never-ending to-do list and a Pinterest board of inspirational productivity quotes, practice is a moment of quiet, calm and focus where we can really return to ourselves and our dreams. And it's something that we shouldn't take for granted and it's definitely something that we shouldn't hate. I think a lot of the reason why people end up disliking their practice time or dreading it has a lot to do with the productivity culture in classical music. Productivity doesn't define who you are. It doesn't define your self-worth as a musician or as a person. But somehow we've become obsessed with productivity. And not even with the results of what a productive lifestyle or a productive work schedule means or what it creates. We become obsessed with the feeling of being busy. And I think it's because a lot of musicians are scared that if they have nothing in the agenda, if they have nothing they're working towards, then they're not successful. The idea of defining productivity is something that brings me on to the next lesson that I'd like to impart, which is that defining what success means to you is incredibly important. It's the key to feeling purposeful in your actions. It's the key to achieving the goals that you set out for yourself. Define what it is to you that success looks like. What is it made up of? If you could dream 20 things that would come true for you over the next couple of years, let's say five years, what would it look like? Where would you be in five years? And dreaming is really important in this equation because I think sometimes we think of our goals as a kind of planning. How will I get to that point in the next five years? And sometimes that can be restricting because I think sometimes when we plan, we aim to do it with the tools that we have available to us right now, which is pragmatic, but it's not bold and it's definitely not going to get you to the point where you feel like you've really made it, where you feel at peace with your success. If it sounds like a big step and you're not really sure where to start, I'd recommend going and listening to episode six that I did with Adam Levin. We talked at great length about different parameters that you can use to define your idea of success, and he certainly has many of them. It's a really important step to starting to take a bit more control of your life, and I think a lot of us who've been through classical music education don't feel like we're in complete control of our lives. 
For whatever reason, it might be because we trust the opinion of a teacher more. It might be because we feel like we have had our self-esteem lowered to such a great extent that we can't trust ourselves. Or perhaps it's just because life has been out of control for the last two years, because the world has been at a complete standstill. For whatever reason it is, we might feel like our lives are out of our own control. And it's really important to start getting yourself into the mindset where you can make steps towards being back in control of the life that you're living. Not least because you don't have to even reach your destination to feel accomplished. If you're working towards a goal, you'll feel your purpose. And I think feeling purpose in our lives is a lot more important to all of us than getting work done. So when it comes to building up that kind of lifestyle, working towards your purpose, one of the most important lessons I've learned that is a lesson I want to impart to everybody is that the time passes anyway. It's something that I read about on fitness forums uh, quite some years ago actually, about small habits, changing small habits. Instead of eating um, sausages and eggs for breakfast every morning, switch to eating muesli and you'll lose two stone over a year. Similarly, if instead of saying that you're going to practice eight hours a day to improve your technique and you burn out after four days and then feel upset and don't practice properly for the next two, three, maybe four weeks, instead set yourself the small goal of practicing 10 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day. 20 minutes a day, every day, over a year, and creating a habit adds up to more than 120 hours in a year, which is a lot of work. The time passes anyway, so set your goals and be realistic. Align yourself to the purpose that you want to achieve in your life. It's okay if those things change. Maybe your direction will change and that's completely okay. You're a completely different person today than you were 10 years ago and you will be a completely different person in 10 years than you are today. This is okay, change is okay, but time does pass. So use it wisely and use it in a way where you know that you will look back and be proud of it. Use your time incrementally. Don't overexert yourself and just put effort into the places that make you feel happy. Don't put effort into places that make you feel upset or annoyed, overwhelmed. Try and settle back and think of what it is that you really enjoy in your life and then realign yourself to that point. And so while we're talking about goals, the things that we wish we'd be doing, for this first episode of 2022, it would be nice to talk about the things realistically and in depth that I am currently working on. The first one is getting stuff done. I am a major perpetrator of this. I will think about things and then I save them for later and then they never end up getting done. An example would be an email that I receive from somebody that needs more brain work than I can exert at that point. I will then file it into my brain to respond later. It could be something professional, it could be something lovely. Sometimes people send me really lovely long emails about how they've enjoyed my music, they've enjoyed my videos, they've enjoyed something I've said, something I've talked about. 
And then I'll put it in the back of my mind because I think, yes, this matters to me. I want to put extra effort into it. And then it just gets taken over by the next things that come at me. So my 2022 resolution is to get things done as soon as I think about them. It can range from the small things to the huge things. Um, But I really, at the moment, only have time to be thinking about things once. So that's also a reason why. Um, A good example of that, again, for instance, is the other day I forgot my gym card. The reason is because, actually, I put it on the windowsill. And then when I saw it on the windowsill once, I thought, huh, that's interesting. I should definitely put that in my wallet. As soon as I thought it, the mental process of having put it in the wallet was done, even though I had not done it. And then I arrived, of course, at the gym without it. So this is my New Year's resolution. Just get things done when I think about them. I often get overwhelmed by a to-do list. I write a list of all the things that have to be done. And then I select a couple of things off of the list to do. And then by about three months into the year, I have a to-do list of all of the things that I really, really don't want to do things that I've been procrastinating. Um, And so I really am working on at the moment getting those things done so that I don't feel overwhelmed. By the end of last year, I felt so overwhelmed that I was not even able to do the things that I loved doing. So I'm just trying to avoid getting back into that state again. I'm trying to work at being a little bit more effective in my work schedule. So if I'm writing an email, I really wanna be thinking about that email solely. And that takes a little bit of um, concentration, a little bit of focus, a bit of practice of how to really, really immerse myself in the task at hand. And it's taken a little bit of reworking how I think about tasks and how I go about planning them. I saw something quite recently, I think it must have been in November last year, that was talking about perfectionists and their attitudes towards tasks. And I think that a lot of people that listen to this podcast can probably also relate to this. It said that perfectionists always wait until they're in the perfect frame of mind to start working on something. And therefore, they never end up starting working on the thing that they want to and then feel like failures. And that really struck a chord with me. I felt very seen. And it said the way to get around it is actually to plan the start of a task. So plan the deadline as being the beginning of working. And that way you achieve already when you begin the work. It sounds like a tiny thing, but it's completely rewired the way that I think about doing tasks. It's helped me to be a lot more creative in the work that I've been doing. It's helped me to get started earlier and get work done in a much less stressful way. And it's also helped me to have a lot more enjoyment of the work that I'm doing while I'm doing it. It's made me feel really purposeful and it's just, I think a lot of perfectionists probably feel this way, that you feel like you're doing your best when you're already ahead. Um, I never get spurred on by the thought of being behind, but somehow I always find myself being behind because my previous work practices didn't really allow for the possibility of starting something on time. And I think this has really, really helped me because now I just feel a lot more accomplished when, I've, when I start something and it helps me to feel like I'm, I'm getting ahead, I'm pushing ahead and I'm doing really well. So that's definitely something that I would recommend to anybody who struggles with the same kind of attitude towards getting things done. Another lesson that I'm currently working on is trying to manifest and enjoy the opportunities that I already have. 
It's interesting, but I've always looked at the opportunities I've got as a step towards something else. A good example of that would be the tone-based writing. When I started on Instagram, I used to write these really lengthy captions. And then around six months in, Tonebase approached me and asked if I would like to write for them. So I started writing articles for them. Now here we are, I've written 100 articles for them. It's been amazing and I absolutely love writing for them. They've given me a lot of freedom on the topics I can write about and I've gotten a lot of experience, not just in the writing itself, but in formatting, um, in sort of reading data. It's been a really amazing process and it's given me a lot of time to think. And I have always thought about what the next thing will be. And it's been just this last year that I realised how lucky I am to have those opportunities already. And how really what I should be doing is making the most of the ones that I already have rather than trying to get something else. Because honestly, I'm pretty happy with the opportunities that I've already got and the things that I'm allowed to do at the moment and call them work. So I'm just trying to be the best that I can at the things that I'm already doing. That's something that I'm definitely going to focus on a little bit more this year, especially as life starts to creep back to a new normal. I have to say that this new normal that we are talking about feels pretty much like the old normal. But in any case, as life starts to creep back and social engagements, etc., concerts come back, it's nice to feel happy with the things that I've already got so that I can work out where I can improve and to find out ways that I can, for instance, do this podcast in a way that is more interesting for you listening uh, more streamlined for me doing it, more fun for the guests, all kinds of things. So that's coming in this new year and it's something I'm really excited about. And of course, the lesson that I'm always working on and that I hope and sort of know you are too is to do everything with a lot more enjoyment and a lot less judgment. It's the kind of community that we built on Instagram, these musicians who love to make music and love to talk about all of the things that come with a musical life. It's why we started the podcast. It's for you. It's for people who feel similarly to me. And it's a process, right? It's a process. Always trying to find the joy in something, to try not to cringe after you've said something in an interview that you think is really embarrassing. Trying to be at ease, basically, with who you are right now and to not hate that person the older that you get and the more removed you get from this moment. So I suppose those are the lessons. It's always difficult to contain things into an episode. It is for the guests and it is for me as well, but this has been really lovely to just be able to talk to you and I'm really, really glad I want to say it again that you're on this journey with me and I'm just so grateful that you're listening, especially if you're still listening at this point. <laughs> um, we do have one last thing to do though before I round off with this episode and wish you the happiest of New Year's, which is to announce the winners from the uh, Fret Not Augustine and Rosie Bennett guitar giveaway. I chose five people who will all get four sets of strings, two Imperial Reds and two Paragon Reds from Augustine Strings, and the iconic Augustine t-shirt. I asked everybody to send in, in the comments, their lessons that they've learned that have been the most meaningful. And the ones that I've chosen as the winners are 
Stephen M. Ring. He says, an important lesson I learned this year is that I need to lighten up on myself regarding struggles and setbacks I have with the guitar. I was being too hard on myself if I wasn't at a certain point by a certain time because life would get in the way. I had to realise that I needed to better balance all the other aspects of my life with the guitar. And as a result, I'm a happier student and I'm enjoying learning again. I love that. It definitely has everything to do with all the lessons that I've been trying to learn my whole life. <laughs> the next winner is Gustavora Mossert. I will post these on my Instagram or below uh, in the description box so that you can understand if it is you who's won. Gustavo Mossart says, an important lesson I learned is to care for the health of my wrists. As a full-time artist and classical guitar hobbyist, I developed tendonitis, and I wish I'd seen a doctor as soon as the pain started instead of waiting and hoping it got better on its own. Lesson learned. I think that's something a lot of us can relate to, um, and that lesson is a good one to learn. Definitely, if you are feeling pain, consult an expert. It can be really difficult to find somebody in the industry who you feel understands where you're coming from with music. There's a famous meme of a person saying, it hurts when I do this, and the doctor saying, don't do that. I know that sometimes it feels like medicine overlooks musicians, but there are organisations that can help you, and even if it's just to point you in the right direction. I'll leave some links below if you are struggling with injury, or if you have struggled with injury, and you're looking for some resources, some people to talk to about it, I'll put some links below. Next, we have Connor underscore Fitzgibbon 99, who says, My biggest lesson has been to allow yourself to take breaks. From the small breaks in practicing to the long breaks in playing the guitar at all. Forcing yourself to play can have such a negative effect on your mindset and taking a good bit of time off has made me gradually fall back in love with the instrument. Then we have say underscore jose182 who says meaningful lessons in music for me had to do with being consistent and progressive in practice efforts along with not expecting quantifiable results every single time. And Ben Diamond, guitarist, who says that he enjoyed the Fret Not episode with Rene and says he was really moved by the discussion on being gentle. You never know the baggage that someone is carrying. Quite right. <laughs> I'd love to say a huge thank you while I have the opportunity to all the people who've come on the podcast. I feel like I've been so, so lucky to have the amazing guests we've had on. I think it's come at the perfect time. This last year has been really transformative for me. I know it has been for a lot of people. I think our focus has shifted a lot during the pandemic. I'm just really, really glad to have had you along for this huge journey and I can't wait for what 2022 has for us with the podcast. As always, you can like this episode, you can subscribe to the podcast, you can come and follow the Fret Not Pod Instagram. And of course, you can also follow me on Instagram at Rosie Bennett Guitar. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week for the next episode of Fret Not. Um.